Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, we are here today. <clears throat> we meet in this place because acceptance is possible. We meet here today because we have been given acceptance and we can have assurance in what God has done in our life. Amen? We meet here today because we were once strangers to a God who created us. We were once there uh, putting our arm out intensely or on purpose or maybe unintentionally saying, I don't want that until we finally responded to the person the God who stood with arms wide open to receive us when we finally, through our free will, said yes to Him. In 1999, I was uh, blessed with the opportunity to be able to go on a mission trip uh, to the Caribbean, to Jamaica. And when I went on this trip, it was the first time that I'd actually uh, been out of the country uh, for, for any kind of a missions experience. I had been to Canada before uh, to visit my grandfather, but other than that, I'd never been uh, on a mission trip experience before, and I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. I'd never uh, been part of uh, this type of uh, environment, this type of culture. And, and so myself and my team, and, and led by our, our youth pastor at the time, uh, brought us together, and we walked through training and all these different types of things and an understanding of the culture as best we could do and began to prepare our hearts openly and spiritually for, for what God had for us. And as we prepared for this trip and as we got everything together, I can tell you that uh, aside from the spiritual preparation that God did within our hearts, I had no idea uh, what I was going to experience when I left the country, landed in this new place, and engaged with these people. For when we went there, we stayed at a Christian college in the area. We did different projects. We, we, did, uh, we visited orphanages and we did different projects. One of the main projects we worked at a church. But the, the thing that sticks out the most in that specific uh, trip and that specific time is the way that we were just enveloped. We were welcomed by those that we worked alongside. And a lot of times when someone goes on a short-term mission trip, especially as they leave from the United States to go somewhere else, the belief is that we're going to go and we're going to make this huge impact and we're going to do all these projects and we're going to help, so to speak, them, rather than recognizing the fact that these instances, these opportunities are actually times where we go and we partner with the church and see how God is already working in another area. And it didn't take long to recognize the fact that when we engaged with those nationals that were there, that we were truly working alongside individuals who were already filled with the Spirit, who were working, were stepping forward. And the way that we recognized this above else, besides the smiles and the words once we got to know them, was the fact that when we came figuratively and literally, no matter where we went, whether it be to a church or an orphanage, or the place where we were lodging, or the cafeteria, or even those who greeted us in the airport, is we got this international sign of welcoming, which was arms open, ready to receive as a hug. Now, how many of you would say you're not a hugger? Okay, a few of you, you're saying, okay, this is the international sign 
of welcoming for me, right? But the international sign of welcoming, these arms open, ready to welcome and to love. The, the greatest sign of acceptance that we can receive, that we can feel, that we can have is somebody to warmly open their arms and embrace us in acceptance and love. I'm going to kind of give you some of the ending before we get started to this sermon, and that is this. God has arms wide open for every single created person ever from the beginning of time until now and beyond. His arms are wide open for every person. And that sign, that symbol, that posturing represents and reflects his heart, which is that he wants to and does accept you and accept me, no matter where we come from, no matter what our past looks like, no matter where, who our parents were or what we've done in the last 24 hours or, or beyond, he accepts us as we are. Now, that also goes along with the reality that because he accepts us and because he loves us where we are, he loves us too much to leave us where we are. Meaning he wants to change us, he wants to transform us, he wants to make us whole and new and more like him, but he does accept us. He does accept you exactly as you sit in this room now or as you join online today or this week. We're going to read today from John's Gospel. As we continue in this series, we walk through, just as he promised, the seven gifts of Jesus. And in all of them, there are seven specific things that he taught, not necessarily that, that corresponded with miracles, this one actually does, but seven things that he taught and that he granted as gifts, as promises to you and to me, and especially to that audience as he engaged those first days. The acceptance of Jesus in John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25, but let me first, before I say this, talk about just kind of the, the rhythm of this passage and the rhythm of the sermon today. We're going to walk through three steps of understanding acceptance, three steps of understanding what this acceptance is, where it comes from, how we receive it, the whole uh, understanding, the whole scope of this concept of acceptance. This journey includes both receiving and understanding, so that means there's this knowledge, this cognitive understanding of what it is, but also this action, a response to the knowledge that we have of receiving. The passage comes to us in a place that's kind of interesting, Jesus' words as he discussed the fact that, that he is, in a lot of ways, the only one, the only thing that has this lasting impact, this lasting transformation in the lives of people. Once again, he's talking to his disciples, and they're bringing forth their understanding of the law, their understanding of, of, of Jewish tradition, and all these things, and he's bringing forth this culmination, this fulfillment of the Old Testament teaching, the Old Testament uh, response, and, and the fact that he, as the Messiah, is bringing forth a new day. This passage also comes on behalf of everyone's, or a lot of people's, favorite gospel story of God's provision, which is the fact that he took a simple lunch, one lunch, and fed 5,000 people with it. And certainly that's a sermon for another day because there's a lot to unpack within the context of Jesus' miracle of feeding 5,000, which was actually probably more like 20,000 when you include wives and, and children as well. But he fed all these people. He, he took the food and he broke it and he multiplied it and he distributed it to all these people. And then when he was done, he slipped away. 
And as he resurfaced among the disciples, this is the historical account, not the story, because sometimes people will, will read a story and they'll think, okay, that's, that's, fa- that's a fairy tale or that's fantasy. No, he read, or he, we read the historical account of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And so we're going to start in, in verse 25, chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to walk through three sections of this passage, and each one we're going to talk through exactly the indication or one of the indications that the author John was intended to try to encourage us to understand. So in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get there? When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I'll pause for just a moment, and then we're going to read those last few verses there before we move on. It's interesting to note that they come and they ask a a temporal, secular, worldly question. How did you get here, right? Just kind of tell us how you got here. And Jesus sees the opportunity to express something much greater, much more eternal, much more focused to to, to what he just did. So Jesus does does this miracle. He feeds these 5,000, and then he recognizes the fact that these disciples, while they didn't fully get it, and they probably wouldn't fully get it for quite some time, have tried to follow him, and his recognition of their following was not, hey, the miracle that you did is amazing. We want to engage in in this eternal perspective, this, this new thing you've done. Instead, they're thinking, you know what? Can we get another one of those free meals that you just provided Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God, the works that God requires? Once again, kind of referring back to their understanding of Jewish law and the the fact that there was these steps of obedience that need to be taken. And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, if you remember last week, we we talked about the, the, the rich young ruler and the fact that he came and he asked, what do I have to do? What can I, how can I earn this? What are the things that I can do to, to, to get in God's good graces? And once again, Christ's words were not necessarily what he wanted to hear. And it had more to do with belief and more to do with sacrifice and this death to self. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then do you give that we may see see it and believe you? What will you do? We're going to pause there for a moment. Have you ever asked the question of God, what must I do? I do. Have you ever asked the question, God, I, I just want to know your will. I just want to, want to understand what you have for me. God, I, I want to please you. And the, and, the, and the question is all centered around this concept of doing. What must I do? If you're following along in your note guide, I'm going to give you this point, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has set. To believe in the one he has sent. 
The, the, the reality here is that Jesus, while a question is being asked of him, Jesus is not answering that question. He's recognizing the, the, the futility of that question. He's recognizing the fact that that question does not add up to where he's trying to, to, to take them or what he's trying to communicate. The question of what must we do in all intents, Jesus is saying, is not the right question. They miss the point that eternal life in Christ's gift is Christ's gift, and, and we're thinking that in terms of trying to achieve it, trying to get things done. The response actually is simple. The first step is this, accepting that Jesus is who he claims to be. What must I do? The first thing that we do is accept the fact that God is God and I am not. That God is the redeemer of all, and I am the one in need of his acceptance, his transformation, his redemption. It's not about going out and trying to earn something or do something or pay for something. Jesus declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16, and embarks on a a life of believing and and being satisfied by the creator of all. We're uh, we're into into, uh, spring, I should say. We're not into May. Skipped a couple months there. We're, we're into spring. I talked to somebody this morning, and they, they, they assured me of that. I actually hadn't looked at the calendar, didn't recognize where we were at. And, and it's exciting to think about all the things that spring brings. And one of the things that, that, that comes with this season is the starting of, of fairs and festivals and some of those types of things where you can get out and you can go enjoy, uh, you know, be, just being out and, and, and being out in, in nature, or you can enjoy kind of traveling, doing different things. But this is the time where these things start. One of the last festivals of the year in Ohio is actually not a festival in and of itself. It is actually a show. And if you ever go there to the Circleville Pumpkin Show, then you will be corrected if you say festival or fest. I lived in in Circleville for seven years. And while I was there, one of the the fundraisers that we would do as a youth ministry was that we would would, uh, would run a parking lot for people that were coming mostly from Columbus uh, to enjoy the show. And they would come in, uh, they would come down Route or 23, and they would pull off there at, uh, at, route, at Route 22 where those come together. And our parking lot was one of the first ones. And we had signs, we had kids there that were uh, directing traffic in. And we would park cars there at the Auto Zone, if you've ever been right there in that, uh, that little four corners. And uh, we, we'd park them there, park them at the Welcome Center, and we'd welcome people to town. Welcome to the Pumpkin Show. We're excited that you're here. And the vast majority of people that would come to the pumpkin show that we would park had never been there before. They'd never been to the pumpkin show. They didn't know anything about it. They read about it online. They heard about it from a friend. They, they, somebody told them about it. And so they were coming down for the first time. And so they didn't know really anything about the pumpkin show. Inevitably, the question that was asked anytime someone pull in, the, the, the main question above all the rest, the main question that was asked is, how far do I have to walk to get to the pumpkin show? And if you've ever been to the pumpkin show, you might laugh at that for a, for a very different reason. But because the reality is we were sitting there and you could look up over the hill. You could see there was a, a, a grain elevator next to us. There were some train tracks. And just on the other side of the train tracks is where the pumpkin show started. The festival started. And in most cases, when someone would ask me, uh, it took me a while to learn this, but when someone would ask me, you know, where or how far do I have to walk to the pumpkin show, what I would say to them is, well, it's just up there over the railroad tracks, but just so you know, the whole event is walking. So while you are coming here thinking, how far do I have to travel to get there, you're going to walk the whole time. You're going to walk to get food. You're going to walk to the rides. You're going to walk to get food again. You're going to walk to the rides. You're going to walk to get food again, right? 
and then see maybe some pumpkins and some other things. But the whole thing was walking, and the thing that I always attempted to try to do was kind of redirect that question, understanding that there's a different question that you should be asking. There's different things that you should be asking because that doesn't, isn't directed towards the context of what's most important or where this is rooted. And Christ is doing the same thing in a very different way than what I just said, but in a very deep and spiritual way. And if you look at the context of what he's trying to establish here is, look, disciples, you guys are looking at this from temporal, uh, with temporal eyes, with, with earthly eyes, with 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 time-sensitive eyes. No, here's the deal. If you want to do, if you want to answer this question, what must I do? The first thing you do is believe in Jesus. The first thing you do is believe in me. The first thing you do is engage in the God who has created you, not go out and try to earn it or to do good works and righteousness, but instead to engage, to believe. What Christ was getting at and doing was reframing the perspective of his disciples. And the secondary point under that first one is the work of transformation is accomplished by God. And to that I say, thank God. To that I say, thank God, because I can't do it. I can't earn it. I I can't do enough good things. Perhaps you're in the same boat or in the same uh, understanding, the fact that you can't do it. Real and lasting transformation comes from God and God alone. Jesus continues, and and here we see that that question. I'm going to reread that one in verse 30. It says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? And it's interesting to note that they asked for a sign to believe rather than recognizing the fact that if you have a sign, in most cases, uh, it's not necessarily belief anymore. It's confirmation. Faith has, has vanished. But in verse 31, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus are you going to keep doing that? Like we got the, the bread in a different way than, than our ancestors did, but you provided the bread. Are you going to now give us manna as if to say, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, we're hungry. Is there a way that you can give us what we need? And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the, bread of God, for, the, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of heaven gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. As if to say, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. We'll take some of that. What are your specials today? Okay, we'll have the special. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I'm sure right now this is a head scratcher for the disciples. Wait a minute. You just talked about giving us bread. You talked about bread from heaven, and now you're saying that you are the bread. What are we to do with this? It's strange here, uh, this interaction between Jesus and disciples. So let's unpack it for a moment. In verse 30, we see, what will you do once again? And they, they, they seek from Jesus a sign greater than the gift of manna that had accompanied Moses' ministry. They seek a sign. Give us something so that we might be able to note that you are powerful, that you, we might give us the direction. And then this interesting thought that they bring in on this concept of manna. 
For they knew the history. They recognized and understood the history of manna and where it came from. It was a popular Jewish expectation uh, from, from, from them that, that, hey, the Messiah would come and renew the sending of manna, renew the sending of this, this bread from heaven. The crowd actually probably even reasoned the fact that, hey, you know what, Jesus, um, you know, he, he did little in comparison to Moses. I mean, he fed 5,000. Well, Moses fed a nation. At the same time, uh, he did it once. Jesus fed us one time. Moses fed the nation for 40 years. He gave us ordinary bread just from some kid's lunch pail. Moses gave us bread from heaven. And so I'm th- sure the thought was, hey, there's a little bit of a, a demeaning taking place. Like, Jesus, you only did this once. You're kind of a new guy on the block. Maybe you should read the history of what took place here and what God did through Moses. And so maybe in some regard you can, you can have a, a greater impact. And then Jesus corrects them in the way that Jesus does with grace and truth and with love. And he points out that the manna in the desert didn't actually come from Moses. Moses wasn't cooking that up in the kitchen uh, over off to the side while they were all listening to the sermon or getting things together. Moses wasn't uh, you know, off at the, at the bakery or he wasn't at the store picking up the grain and putting everything together. Instead, that, that, that bread, that manna came specifically from God. And then he takes it a step further to say that God still gives. In fact, the the word there that's used here in this concept is the present tense of the information. He still gives the true bread from heaven, life through his son. The word there, bread of life, it actually means the bread that is living or the bread that gives life. And so when Jesus is referring to this bread, he's not referring to some temporal bread that they eat and then go hungry again in a couple hours, but instead he's referring to the spiritual bread that he provides as the bread of life. The bread of God. Jesus moved the discussion from something to someone much more important than simply manna or bread that they referred to as bread from heaven. And so the second point is this. Whoever comes to Jesus Christ will never go hungry or thirsty. With this bread, with this eternal bread, Jesus, the the, the one who brings salvation and transformation, the one who grants acceptance, if, if one comes, whoever comes to Jesus will never go hungry or thirsty. Imagine with me, if you will, if you're not a billionaire in the room, imagine with me, if you will, if, if, you, if you were to accidentally go and buy a lottery ticket. And accidentally, uh, it, it was a winner, and you won billions of dollars, and you accidentally went and cashed it in, and you accidentally had billions of dollars. After giving your 10% to the church, right, you would have your, your billions of dollars, and you would never have to, quote, worry about anything again. You would have your food, your necessity. You could take care of all your debts if you have any. You could take care of all the things that you've ever wanted to do. And it's interesting to note that in most conversations, when you talk to someone, you ask them the question, what would you do if you were to win the lottery? Most of the time they say, well, I don't play the lottery. So first thing I'd have to do is buy a ticket. But then they have typically a list of some specific things that they would do. I'd pay off my house. I would buy a car. I would pay for my kid's college or whatever it might be. There's a a list of specific things. And it's almost attributed to the fact that if we just had money, all of our needs would be filled. Now, I recognize in the concept of, of money that in every illustration and everything that, that I share as an illustration, there is some breakdown at a certain point. 
And so I want to look at it this way. First of all, money does not solve problems. It will not solve problems. And money is one of those things where once you have a lot, you always want more. And so in that context, we're not going to look at it that way. But there is this changing of paradigm and understanding when we recognize the fact that we don't have to carry the burden anymore. And what Jesus was saying right here in a spiritual context is there's this paradigm shift in all these burdens that we're carrying. And so we'll look at it financially because that was the illustration I used. We're carrying around all these burdens right now, all these things that we have to pay for, all these things that are, that are kind of beating us down. Well, right here we see what Jesus is saying is spiritually, you're carrying around these burdens. You're carrying around all this stuff, so to speak. And you keep getting hungry and you keep getting thirsty because you're trying to do this yourself. You're trying to get through this on your own. You're trying to follow the law and meet all these things. And guess what? The transformation's not happening because you are not engaging with the one true God, the one who has brought real and lasting bread from heaven. Let me just say, when we come to Christ, when you and I come to Christ initially and then beyond, there's real fulfillment. That paradigm does shift because there's no need to carry the burden anymore. And so the secondary point on that one is this. Christ will fulfill the spiritual needs of the convert. Before we move on, I just want to say that whole money thing I talked about, obviously that's, that's a secondary, that's something to, to help illustrate, but you can do the same thing with your finances. You can do the same thing with your relationships. You can do the same thing with your, with your stature, with your education, with everything you have. You don't have to carry those burdens because when you give it over to God, he takes all of them. Amen. When you give everything over to God, he will take it. He will carry it. When you engage in, a, in, in, a, in an eternal perspective, God changes who you are. He changes how you think. He transforms how you process and what you believe. Christ will fulfill the spiritual needs of the convert. Then finally, we'll, we'll conclude with this portion of the passage, uh, this section, I should say. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the, at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The best part is, and here we see it in the key verse 37, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. The best part is that Christ accepts us. Christ accepts you and Christ accepts me. And the point is this, those who come to Jesus will never be driven away. Never be driven away. The, the concept of never being driven away means that there's always going to be open arms. There's always going to be those arms that are open, welcoming with that smile saying, I love you. Come to me if you are tired, if you are weary. Come to me if you've stepped away. Come to me in the time of darkness and shadow. Come to me. God's action, not, not man's, is the primary of salvation. Christ's mercy is unfailing to you and to me. Perhaps the best illustration of this is another parable that Jesus told. 
And maybe you've heard this before. There was, a, there was a man who had great wealth and he had two sons. He had an older son and he had a younger son. And the younger son one day decided while he had all of his needs met, while he had the love of the father, while he had a, a brother, he, he decided, you know what? I've had enough of the rules here. I've had enough of this house. For whatever reason, he decided he would like his inheritance, even before his father passed away, which in a lot of ways indicates the fact that he was saying, Father, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me what's coming to me, and I'm going to go. And the father, in his just way, recognized the fact that his son did not receive him, did not want him, and said, okay, well, I will give you what you want. I love you. I'm sorry that you want to leave. I'm sorry you feel this way. I'll give you what you want. I'll leave you to your own devices. Here are the things that you desire. And the son said, thanks, thumbed it in his face, and he took his stuff and he left. And as Jesus tells the parable, and I'll paraphrase, he goes to a place and through his own way of living, through his own devices, he squanders all the things that he was intended to steward, all the, 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 the material possessions, even up to his health, and he finds himself at the lowest of the lows. And he walks through this whole process in his mind of what am I going to do now? And he asks this question, what do I do, right? The question the disciples were asking, what do I do at this point? How am I going to move on from here? I can do nothing. And he gets to this realization. Perhaps you've been there before. And he recognizes that the only way to, to step out of this, the only way to move on, the only way to be free from the bondage of the darkness and the sin, the brokenness he brought on himself was to go back to his father. And so he got himself together and he made the journey. And as he's on his way there, I'm sure he's thinking through, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I have nothing to offer. Maybe I'll earn my way back. I'll work for my dad and I'll be one of his servants and I'll, I'll, I'll do something for him and he'll take me back because of the fact that I'm able to work for him and, and, and earn my keep once again. And the scripture says that on his way back, the father saw him, which is an amazing thing. We talked about this last week that Jesus sees us, Right? and he loves us, the father saw him a long way off, which means that he was proactively looking for his son's return. He saw his son, and he ran to his son. Now, let me just, let me just, this, this, this mental picture that I get, number one, is the fact that in that culture, men did not run. There wasn't jogging. There, that, there was no track, cross country. Those things didn't exist. So that was already kind of a faux pas, but he threw all those things aside, and he ran to his son with arms open. And he ran with arms open, and as his son attempted to try to, to, to say, Dad, I'll do this, I'll do that, he just laid kisses on him. He squeezed him tight. He received him in. He accepted his son, no matter what he had done, no matter where he'd been in all aspects, because his love, his embrace, and his engagement for his creation. Can I just say, Christ grants acceptance. Christ grants acceptance for you and for me and for everybody we've ever met, for those people that you think, man, I don't know if, if God's ever going to be able to get through to them. Christ, because of his love, his embrace, his obedience, he grants acceptance for even them. As Pastor Seth uh, said earlier, while we were yet 
sinners. He loves us. So we're going to close now with prayer. We're going to close now taking a moment with prayer. And here's what I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to do. I've got a couple of rhetorical questions that we'll, I'm going to uh, engage after the prayer. But here's what I encourage you to do. One of the things that I've recognized in my life, and I, I get to enjoy this on a, a daily basis a lot of times, if I get home after my kids have all gotten home from school, now one of them has, has shied away from this. She's a little bit older now, and, and so she doesn't do it as much. But my two boys, they will fight. They will run to be the first one to hug me when I come in the door. And if they came to me and they ran to me and their arms were wide open, right? Their arms were wide open and I just kind of stood there or I turned to the side or I closed the door in their face or I held a bunch of stuff instead of putting it down. That would shun that acceptance that they have for me. And so I know that this posturing might be a little bit difficult. It might be something that's uncomfortable. But here for this prayer, here's what I want us to do. I want us to have a physical presence of receiving the acceptance that God has for us. I don't know how you came in today. I don't know where you're sitting or what, what you're doing. I don't know when you tuned in. Maybe if you're joining us online, what your thoughts are. But let me just say, right now, as, as we pray, I want to encourage you. If you want to accept Christ in whatever fashion, maybe for the first time or maybe just in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in greater depth or maybe as a return, I want to encourage you to just reach out your arms as if to receive him. And you can stand if you want to. You can sit if you want to. It's up to you. But as we pray, accept Jesus. So extend your arms and let's pray together if you feel comfortable. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the fact that as you engage with the disciples, that there are universal principles, especially this promise, God, that you accept us, that you love us, that you are here for us and, and engage with us. And so, God, we pray right now with open arms, with a, with a humble posture, God, that you would engage us in a way, Father, where we would be transformed, we would be changed, we would come to know you in a greater way. And I pray that every, every individual, every person within the context of this church and beyond, God, that our hearts, our minds would be one that would accept you and, and in turn would also accept one another. That we would see the reality that you call us, Father, to, to receive each other in love and to be open and, and, and to be your ambassadors as well for truth and for love. God, I pray that we would embrace you as the one spiritual meal that brings forth a, a, an opportunity for us to never hunger again. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your provision. It's in your son's precious and perfect and holy name that we pray here today because of his provision and all God's people set together. Amen. Amen. Would you listen to this benediction? All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Once again, verse 37. Charles Spurgeon once called this one of his favorite verses. If we come to him, he will be waiting with open arms, perhaps even running towards us with open arms. Christ's invitation extends to everyone and accepts all those who follow him. And so here's the rhetorical question now, but hopefully the question that you do answer at lunch or this week or whenever you have time to do so. And these questions respond. What will you do with this acceptance? And if God's already given you the acceptance, what are you waiting for? Thank you. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.